So this morning, uh, my topic is uh, practicing uh, grace, and I'm just going to start off by saying I think grace is the most important thing. It's the secret uh, to Christianity. It's uh, like the wardrobe door to Narnia. It's like that beautiful midfield incisive pass uh, to the striker where a great goal is scored. I say that as a Birmingham City fan. I've never actually witnessed one of those, but uh, I believe it to be true. I saw it last night in Match of the Day. It's like uh, that key clue which a detective discovers on the way to solving a difficult case. Grace is invisible, and yet when practised... It's highly visible. It's surprising. Grace can be perplexing and certainly profound. Grace is perfectly ordinary, and yet it's more valuable than the most precious diamond in the world. Grace is the idea which has, I think, changed the world more than any of our idea. It's the opposite to what we expect. It can be difficult to grasp. It can seem unbelievable. Some people argue that Grace just makes religion all too easy, yet for others, the feeling of grace can feel so far away. I saw grace uh, this Friday when I was looking at the news. I saw it in South Africa, something which at first glance seemed completely unfair and unreasonable happened, something which when I first considered it seemed completely naive and idealistic uh, to do. And I must admit, I completely scoffed And I thought, what on earth is going on there when I heard that Eugene de Kock had been granted parole after 20 years in jail? The man who was nicknamed Primeval for his role in killing um, and maiming uh, of activists fighting white minority rule in the 1980s and 90s um, was, was being set free. He was 66. He's sentenced in 1996. He had two life terms in prison, plus a further 212 years for the crimes he committed, he confessed to more than 100 acts of murder. Why had he been set free? Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was the chair of that Truth and Reconcile Commission, I don't know if you remember it, said um, the decision to release him represented a milestone on South Africa's road to reconciliation and healing. And this is what he said. I pray that those whom he hurt, those whom uh, he took loved ones, will find the power within them to forgive him. Forgiving, he says, is empowering for the forgiver and the forgiven, and for all people around them. But we can't be glib about it. It's not easy. But it is grace. It's completely undeserved. And yet, there it is. A man who committed grievous crimes and fully deserving to be locked up and having the key thrown away is given grace. He has shown some remorse, but it's still very painful and hard to watch. And especially when you see grieving families who can't understand, it still seems ridiculous. But what we hope will benefit is the many rather than the few as this happens, as South Africa moves forward and continues to work out what it means to be a nation. Grace is a complex thing, and it will be worked out in so many different ways. We'll have different ways of approaching it as individuals. It can completely baffle us, and yet it can completely change things, and it brings hope in so many shapes and colours. And it's vital to Christianity. Christianity without grace is actually invalid. Christianity without grace is not real. It's defective. 
So in the journey we at P's and G's are going on at the moment, where we're attending to our souls, we're soul-keeping, it's right, I think, right in the middle of this journey to stop and work out where grace is in our souls. I must admit I, to being sneakily uh, delighted when Dave told me I was speaking on grace. I thought, brilliant, that's going to be an easy job. I've, got, I've just done a lot of work on grace. I've got the cycle of grace up my sleeve. I can do that. I thought, good times, lovely. Especially Jenny's away this week in uh, Nepal and India. I thought, easy, while the kids, I can just look after the kids and have fun and everything. And I got more excited because I, I read John Altberg's book, uh, and it's called Soul Keeping. We based a lot of what we're, we're saying around his book. It's brilliant. And excitedly, uh, he had, in the middle of his book, The Cycle of Grace. I thought, even better, I can just nick a few of his ideas, claim them to be my own. Even better sermon. I thought, that's great. A free gift given to me by John Ortberg. Fantastic. And then I read the passage. And then I read it again. And I read it again. I thought, Dave, really? Are you giving me this passage? I won't then say what I thought because uh, it wasn't graceful. And um, I read the passage and thought, that's wretchedly got sexual immorality in. I've got to talk about that. You know, I, I don't mind talking about sex, but sexual immorality, that's something else. Greed, I've got to talk about greed to this congregation, help me. And then, and then I've got to speak about anger. It's miles more difficult than I expected. And um, it's difficult to preach about all this kind of stuff. So I was rats about it all. So today, I'm going to try and speak about grace. But as I do so, I'm going to try and speak about it and include immorality, greed, anger and wrath too. That wasn't in my cycles of grace. So I suppose the key thing I want to shine out is this idea of grace. But I'm hoping as I talk about grace, the inventor of it, Jesus Christ, would just fill our hearts and our imaginations and we'll be encouraged to shine even more than we're doing so at the moment and be encouraged to draw much closer to him, this graceful king, and trust him more as we worship him this morning. No practising of grace will work if we don't know what our identity is, if we don't know who I am. If grace is to be a reality in our lives, we somehow, deep within our beings, our psyche, our brains, our feelings, our thoughts, our hearts, need to know a secret if we are to get to know grace and that secret quite simply is Jesus and simply put grace exists when we know we belong to Jesus or in other words when we know our identity is in Jesus grace completely works from that position I belong to Christ my identity is found in him he is mine and I am his. That is always the starting point for grace, a relationship with God. Rick Warren, who terribly uh, lost his son, his son had depression and committed suicide. But Rick Warren said after he died, he said, what gives me the most hope every day is God's grace, knowing that his grace is going to give me the strength for whatever I face, knowing that nothing is a surprise for God. And Rick can only say things like that because he knows he belongs to Jesus. Grace is God's goodness, God's heart, God's kindness, and God's love flowing. And it flows through us, to us, and then it flows beyond us as we become a people 
of grace. And that's the place where Paul starts in our reading in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians. He is quite simply pointing people back to Jesus. I am pointing you back to Jesus this morning. Paul writes, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul is reminding the church in in these verses, and he's reminding us readers today, you and me, that we are part of something completely bigger, much bigger than we think. We, beloved, belong to something much bigger than just what's happening in the here and now. There's a bigger story going on than right now, something bigger than what we're facing as a world at the moment, the terrible execution by ISIS of those Japanese prisoners. There's There's a bigger story going on than that. There's a bigger story going on than terror attacks. There's a bigger story going on than Ebola. There's something bigger than poverty and injustice. We are part of something bigger than what is going on now. Jenny, my wife, uh, works for Tear Fund, uh, which is a Christian development agency. And she's been, as I said already, away in Nepal and India this week. And she's visiting communities which are torn apart by the whole thing about human trafficking the human trafficking of young children, and particularly girls, who are taken often to, away to be uh, sex workers. She is seeing how extreme poverty means that families sell their girls of, say, about 12 years old to secretive men and never hear from them again. It's devastating what poverty does and is doing right now. Yet. Jenny can only do this because she believes in something bigger and something better. And she can only do this, as Paul describes in verse 3, because she knows that her life is hidden with Christ in God. Transformation has happened for her because of this. And she carries a different story which says, in those terrible situations, God can and does transform hearts and situations. His glory can be part of our experience now. His glory can be part of what's going on in Nepal now. The world might be going to hell, but Jenny knows she certainly isn't as she communicates this grace story of Jesus. And out of this eternal identity given to Jenny by Jesus, she is so motivated to demonstrate that transformation in the darkest places of our world. Knowing our identity and where it's placed is the biggest determinant of grace in our lives. When we know we belong to Jesus, when we know we're part of this bigger story, we are on the way. For me, it was when I discovered the secret, the simple secret, which all of us are. I discovered I was a child of God. Reading John chapter 1, I realised that was my identity. I was a child of God. And that began the transformation in my life. I had direct access as a child of God to the throne room of heaven. And a key thing of grace is this identity. Where is our identity based? If we want to experience grace at its fullest in our lives, then as the rock of our lives, make that identity Jesus. 
Know that your life is hidden with God and base everything on that. John Ortberg says, our souls exist to integrate our lives so that we can live in harmony with God and the world. And this is what Paul is encouraging here. However, all of what I am saying is easier said than done. We can know this. This is all knowledge we can know. We can experience it, but it's hard to live it. And despite grace and despite knowing God and despite our identities and despite being motivated by knowing Jesus, it can be easy to move away from it. Our heads as human beings can be turned very easily, especially if we try and control Jesus and bend him to our way of doing things rather than opening up completely to him. And this is where the next part of the passage comes in. It says, put to death in verse 5, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uh, Barbie and Scythian, slave or three, but Christ is all and in all. For me, this is where the rubber hits the road, where it comes to grace, where it has a huge impact. You see, it's easy for somebody who's discovered grace and discovered, actually, we're really loved by God and Jesus is everything. It's easy for people like us just to leave it all to God, to leave everything to God. People often say, well, I walk by uh, grace and not by works. And there's some truth in it. It is only Jesus who, who, who saves us. We can't save ourselves through anything we try and do. That's impossible. However, to say that grace has no effort on our part is missing the point when it comes to caring for our souls. Grace says, if our identity is in Christ, we will honour him by trying to live our lives in a way which point to him. This means we say in our hearts, in our secret lives, we say to ourselves, I will deal with my sin. Paul says, forcefully put our sin to death. A forceful image that being a grace-filled Christian is not some sort of cosmic overhaul of our sinful personalities. We don't simply add on, say, like a veneer of Christian values that only laminates our old sort, sort of way of life and value system. Grace means we have a commitment to get rid of sin and to sandpaper down the veneer and sort out the problem properly. And Paul helps us to understand what uh, this with a fantastic list of sins in verse 5 sort of any sin worth doing or worth having in our life is actually in this uh, thing. We've got sex, we've got greed and anger. These types of things really uh, dominate our, our lives uh, still. And Paul wants us to put these things to life, to kill it in our life. And yet it's really difficult to do this. It's almost impossible with the pressures around us. We've got the media pointing uh, sex at us uh, at every moment, with our consumerist sort of John Lewis style culture, you might want to change your favourite shop from, from John Lewis to something else, but with our consumerist John Lewis culture, it urges us to buy more and improve our identity by having the very best things. 
And the unfairness of life gets us shouting and angry and crying and raging. Sex, greed and anger become our identities and they're thrown at us every day of the life as important things to do. The Christian cannot move in and out of Christ's lordship and graceful identity whenever it becomes convenient or inconvenient. Holy living, soul keeping will never really be convenient. And if we want our souls to thrive, if we want to be the person God has made us to be, this becomes our work. Grace says, I will make the effort to deal with sin. I will move away from things like sex, greed and anger, all done in the wrong way. Every great thing in our life takes effort and work. Our relationships only work when we give ourselves completely to them and work hard at our relationships with our partners, with our families. They will work well when we invest in them. Our careers will only really get going when we start to become committed to them and take them seriously and work hard at them. Education only becomes enlivening when we start to deeply invest in it and engage in it. Mission in the church only becomes fruitful when we sit down and work it out and think, where does God want me? I don't know how Andy Murray's doing in the finals. He lost yet? Um, not yet. Is he on the way? He's doing all right, that's good. Well, he, would only, he, he hasn't just got to that final, has he? It, we've all seen the cold baths filled with ice he's had to endure and all the training he's had to do and how he virtually faints on court to try and get to be the best tennis player. He hasn't, it doesn't, doesn't just happen. Some investment has been put into it and it's the same with our souls. We put investment in it. We go the extra mile, we work it out. But if we don't, put in the effort, sin, sin creeps into us. Just look at our culture now, it's the orgasm which is now God. And we destroy, destroy our lives along the way by attempting to have yet another climax. The bigger home or the bigger salary or the bigger next egg has become our security. We just need another £100,000 and then we can retire. Our hurt and anger rule our relationships and then relationship after relationship starts to get destroyed. Beware of easy sex, beware of promotion which tramples on other people's heads or that constant low-lying anger which can dominate our lives and reveals itself when we shout at another car which cuts us up. They can destroy us. Why? Well, Paul warns us at this point about God's wrath. God's wrath has seriously been misunderstood and I think miscommunicated down the age. It's been used to control people when actually something much more sophisticated is happening. don't know if you've seen that, the sort of video of Stephen Fry being really angry about God and it's all because he misunderstands, I think, this concept of God's wrath. All of us probably have the wrong view of what it means, these words, God's wrath. It's so serious, really, for the evangelical Christian. Apparently only 37% of us now believe in a God and God's, who is wrathful. And I can understand it because I feel uncomfortable when I see televangelists and people who are overzealous standing up and telling us God's wrath is judging us, he's so angry, he's kicking us. It's not nice to think about. Um, just simply put, wrath is anger. So on one hand, it's in interesting, this passage. Paul is telling us in the passage, let's be careful not to be angry. But on the other hand, he's talking about God's anger. So what is, what is happening here? Well, God's wrath happens because of sin. 
God and sin are, don't rub along. They don't get on uh, together. Where there's sin, it feels like God makes an exit. Now, often when we think of God's wrath, I don't know what you're thinking of when, when I, I talk about wrath, but maybe it's some sort of godlike character floating on a cloud, see something he doesn't like, and light, bolts of lightning land on the person it doesn't like, and they are destroyed or obliterated. You, I don't know what you think of, but that's probably a familiar one when thinking of wrath. Can I just say that's exactly not what Paul is talking about here? Often people go around thinking, oh, God is angry at me and I'm, I'm totally, you know, I, there's no way back because I've done something terribly wrong and God has just removed himself from me. He's so cross with me. I never think that is the truth. God loves you and he loves you completely. Yet he might be angry at the sin which you're carrying. And for Paul, he expresses his wrath by simply pulling away. God will pull away if he sees sin. God will back off. He will um, step back. He will release, if you like, the person because of wrath. Let me explain a bit more. In Romans chapter 1, which isn't far away, but before the passage we're looking at today, we see God's wrath expressed, expressed in verses in the, in the end of the chapter of Romans chapter 1. And in verses 24, 26 and 28, there's this phrase... He gave them over. God gave them. In his wrath, God gave them over. This is God's wrath in action. In other words, people who are caught in their sin were released into their sin. So God just lets go. God has given humanity. All of us in this room have complete freedom. He never controls us. So when our lives say, we don't need you, God will simply step away. And that is wrath. God lets us get on with it. He doesn't want to because he knows the pain and despair in the long run is going to cause him stepping away. But he's not a controlling or manipulative God. He is a releasing and loving God. The best picture I can give is actually a story of Jesus about this, the story of the prodigal son. But I don't want to talk about the son. I want to talk about the prodigal's father. So you might know the story that the son decides that, you know, life is boring at home. So he goes to his dad and says, can I have half of uh, your money? Can I have my inheritance? He had two sons. Can I have half of it? And amazingly, the father says, yes, knowing that the son was probably going to waste every single penny of that money, knowing that the son was going to move away from him and not be around and yet he gave him the money and the son moved away. And the story is he did blow all the money on wine, women and song and ended up living with some pigs. It wasn't a great thing. But you see, so the father released the son into the sin. That's, that's like a picture of the wrath going on. But the father still loves. So every day he was going up that hill looking out for the son, trying to see him, wanting the son to come home didn't want them to stay away. He wanted the son to come home. And the joy of the story is the son did choose to come home. And there was a reconciliation. And uh, in, at the end of the story, the wrath was overcome and forgiveness was now the name of the game. But the father in his love releases the son 
And that's what wrath is. It's about release. Be wary of Old Testament images, televangelist, overzealous people. Jesus gave, gave us an image of it in the prodigal son. And Paul demonstrates it in Romans 1, and that's what he's meaning here. Paul is saying, if our identity is in Jesus, sort out the sin of your life. Remember the consequences of it. But also remember there's always a way back to God. And that's another part of grace, which is my identity, that there is always a way back to him. So we have our identity in Jesus, and we always know there's a way back when we're living in grace. And here's an encouragement this morning to actually jolly well come to our senses if we're stuck in our sins and come back to him. God's waiting. He is standing on the hill like the prodigal son and he wants to embrace you and welcome you home today. And we come back to him by putting on some new clothes. These are the clothes of grace. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together. Great thing is this week, the Archbishop of Canterbury um, has sort of uh, said, that Justin Welby this is, has said that he wants sermons to go much deeper than just telling people to live out their Christian lives by being kind. He's saying that's a pretty boring sermon telling people week in, week out to be kind. But actually, in the text, I've got to tell you all to be kind. Uh, this morning, this is what's going on here. Paul wants people to be kind. And I think, uh, uh, but there's much more than that going on. I don't know uh, if you've been getting those um, soul check texts coming to you. I know about over 400 people have, uh, have um, had them coming in. And... I think they've been really getting to the nub of what I'm trying to talk about here. They've been really useful uh, to us as we try and work out how grace is in our life. And these questions which have come out day by day are completely the wrong time for me, but they've come out. How joyful have you been? How gentle are you being right at this present moment in time, as I'm telling off Jonah for the 20th time that day? When were you last kind? How peaceful are you? How patient are you being? Do you feel loving and caring? Are you happy or grateful? These are the texts for the soul. Even though they might seem trite, these are the kind of things which help us to see how we're going. We can work out if it's sin, things like greed, anger, or sex dominating, or is it actually grace which is worth working its way out in our lives. The thing is, if these things are in order in our lives, then grace doesn't just affect our internal lives and our conversations going on inside ourselves, but a light starts to shine on in us, bright and clear, and it draws not just us into the way of grace, but others. They make our relationships better and better, these things, rather than just being individuals of grace. We start to transform and become a community of grace. Graceful Living says... I am going to do it another way. When Christ takes hold of us and we give our striving wholly to Christ, something happens without us even noticing. Transformation. 
And quite simply, our passion here at Peace and Cheese is that we are people who are transformed so completely by Jesus, but we're not just transformed once, we continue to be as we work out our Christian lives. And as we continue to be, our passion is that our community becomes transformed, because that's what happens when grace starts to dominate. This is why choosing to live gracefully is an exceptional thing. As God has been gracious to us and given us a new identity, and as we work on our sin and purposely point to God, then we start to reflect God all around us and change not just our personal world, but the world. But we have to choose to put on those clothes. We have to choose to get up and be graceful. This is an, it has an intention to it. Grace isn't just happening. And if we all choose to do that, Brilliant things happen. It becomes dynamite. But we could choose to be mean or grumpy or hard-faced as we get up. We might get up tomorrow and go, I'm going to be a cow. When we do that, it all starts apart. Grace, kindness, humility, patience, love. That's what it's all about. Those are words to describe Jesus. Are they words people would use to describe us? Do they describe you? Do they describe me? And if we choose grace, something wonderful happens. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Choosing the way of grace uh, means that not only do we get the peace, uh, get peace and Jesus Christ in our hearts, we also get this attitude of thankfulness. We're also, as we choose the way of grace, led into worship, just as we're doing this morning. But it's complete worship, not just Sunday worship, but worship day in, day out. As we're going along, worship all the time. And we become the people God is calling us to be, people of grace. So this season's easy sermon I was going to preach about grace hasn't happened at all for me. But really, it doesn't matter at all. What does it matter? The key thing is that God's goodness is here this morning. His complete grace right now is in this room. Everything God has on offer is in this place and his grace is knocking on the doors of our hearts this offer of a new way of doing things is here god is saying today make your identity jesus he is saying today to us work out your sin but live in the grace of forgiveness and second chances he's saying today to us come back to me if you've run away and he's saying Put on the new clothes of grace today. Don't go back to your old clothes, no matter how comfy. Put on my clothes of kindness, peace and love. And he is saying, live it out and worship me. God's whisper is in the air this morning. He's saying to us, I love you. He's saying it to our hearts. But also, he says, as you receive my grace, go out there and practice it. The call to us all this morning is to be people of grace. And if we are people of grace, remember, we'll change the world. God bless you.